Hello and welcome to Destination Draft Day. I'm your host, Michael Rockman, joined by Nick Durst. We don't have Brian here with us today, so we're going to try to carry on strong without him, but we're definitely missing him. So, Brian, hope you're enjoying yourself and your Friday out there. Nick, happy Friday to you, and how are you doing, my friend? Listen, I am. I'm doing well. We had a, a great season. You know, Brian was great. Just into the show with bonus seekers, so we'll still have him on. Um, but it was great to, to get him involved throughout the year. And now we're just looking at some off-season stuff here. Looks like there's going to be a lot of QB movement going on here. We'll we'll touch on Dak maybe requesting a trade. We'll, we'll talk about maybe Russell Wilson being influenced by his wife Sierra looking again there uh, to Seattle. But I'd like to start off talking about. J.J. Watt, who sent out an emotional video. He's asked for his release, which would even further the, f- the flames here, I think, of Deshaun Watson wanting to get out of Houston. Uh, but J.J. Watt, one of the best of all time and future Hall of Famer. I think there's probably three teams that I could see him going to. Uh, number one would be Pittsburgh to play with his brothers. Number two, I believe we have a possibility to see him join the champions, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, probably as a replacement to Shaq Barrett, assuming he gets signed elsewhere big time. And the third team would be the Chiefs. Uh, so you have instead of the family ties or you got the teams that, you know, he wants to win a Super Bowl. Because I think at this point he's got his money onto the Super Bowl. I think he'd be an amazing New York Giant. I know the Patriots would want him, um, but what team wouldn't want him at this point, especially, uh, you know, when, when pass rushing is so important and he's still performing at a high level. And you have to take into account that he is a tremendous leader. He's going to come in just like Brady came in and was automatically the captain. He's going to come into your team and automatically be the captain, be the leader. Everyone's like a four and he's hungry. He wants that championship. So yeah, those are the three teams I think that I, I was going to see him going to, uh, where do you where do you see his free agency playing out, Michael? I de- I definitely think those teams are in contention. Uh, another squad that I would probably consider is teams like Green Bay Packers, where he came from, Wisconsin. Right. The issue is just money this offseason. So, you know, maybe teams like Green Bay, teams like New Orleans, who may want to pursue a talented player like J.J. Watt, they're just so strapped for cash where most of their priorities are going to be trying to get similar guys that have already been in the system just back. So this offseason, there's a lot of teams that have money to spend, but also there's way more teams that just are very low on cap. I talked about last uh, episode. I said 21 teams are below 20 million in cap space right now if the projected cap is 185 million. So there are going to be a lot of teams that aren't able to operate as well as they'd like to. There's plenty of guys that you got to resign. You got to fill out a full 53 man roster for your salary cap. The other guys that will be on the roster don't count towards the mm-hmm. cap, obviously, to where they try to fill it up to 75, 90, however you want to go about it. So there's definitely some issues in that regard. And that's going to leave a lot of these younger teams able to maybe swoop in and offer a lot more money. Right. So I, I mean, assume JJ Watt is mostly know, in you- pursuit. Of for a, a championship, you know, yeah. you know, you know his brother. You know he's already talking to his brothers. Uh, I guarantee you, Aaron Rodgers has texted him. Uh, Tom Brady has been in contact with him. 
Um, and I don't know if he's been in contact with, with Patrick Mahomes, but uh, I'm sure J.J. Watt's agent is going to be in contact with the, with the Chiefs front office. Because um, I think it's about a ring for him at this point. Uh, and, you know, he's, maybe he does a one-year contract, like we just saw like Anamik and Sue do, to you know, come in and get a championship somewhere, and then maybe he'll look to cash out. Uh, but it's not like we're talking about he's going to be making a million dollars here. He's probably going to make like eight, nine million dollars at minimum. So he's going to get he's going to get paid. I think a spot that would be interesting is Arizona, where they maybe aren't as much of a for sure contender, but they have DeAndre Hopkins, so there's some familiarity there on the roster. They have the big need on the defensive line, adding some presence in that position would be huge for them. And I think that would be a uh, fun landing spot for a young up and coming team. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to see where JJ Watt ends up on your off season blueprint cards. Cause you're going to have to put them somewhere. So that'd be really fun to look at. Uh, let's we we're talking about movement here. So we got to talk about Russell Wilson. Uh, not happy about his O-line and the fact that they got rid of Schottenheimer and that he's not having a say in things. Now there's always been these rumors out there that, Sierra, his wife, is not happy in Seattle. Obviously, she wants to be in you know, Los Angeles, but that's not going to happen. So we've heard, we heard it two years ago. She wanted to get to New York with the Giants somehow. Now you hear oh, maybe the Jets will get involved. Uh, I don't think he's going to necessarily move, but if I'm the Giants, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Dave Gellman, I'm calling up Seattle, and I'm going to offer a package of Daniel Jones – Evan Ingram and three first round picks. And I think that's something Seattle has to actually consider and think about um, because that's, that's a pretty decent package. Uh, and, you know, pick, give it the picks is a lot, but if you put the, if you put Russell Wilson on the, on the giants last season, they were a playoff team. So hands down, if you have, if you have Wilson as your quarterback on the giants, you're going to win that FC East for many years to come and you give yourself a chance. The other interesting question I want to get your take on giants potentially is, if you're the Jets, do you go after Watson or do you go after Wilson, um, Russell Wilson? Because the Wilson price is probably going to be a little cheaper just because of the age difference. Uh, but your takes on you know potential fit with the Giants or you know who the Jets should pursue between Wilson and Watson. And it also came out this week that the Jets did call the Lions about Matthew Stafford as well. So I, I don't see how they're going to be running it back with Sam Donald at all next season. Yeah. And if I'm the Jets, I am doing my due diligence for both, obviously. But I think Wilson is the more realistic option. I think Miami can beat you with that third pick and having Tua and having multiple firsts. I get that the Jets also have plenty of firsts in their chest, but I think you got to consider the ch chance that, you know, having a guy like Russell Wilson, especially with a coaching staff that's likely going to get your defense to overachieve sooner rather than later, you can really make something out of this very quickly, maybe one year downtime at most. So I think that's something that you got to look into and really try to make happen. Looking at what Russell Wilson brings to the table, you have a franchise quarterback if you have Russell Wilson. You have one of the top five QBs in the league if you have Russell Wilson. So, yes, the enticing aspect of picking a rookie QB that you don't really know what their ceiling is and potentially getting a superstar uh, is unweighted. I get it. But if you have the chance to get Russell Wilson, who you know is going to be a top five QB at the least for the duration of how long you have him, 
it's hard to pass up. Super Bowl quarterback, winning quarterback. Uh, hey, the game, the guy's a winner. And I think we both have agreed on this show that if not for Pete Carroll, maybe uh, he's got another winner too. We'll see how that works out. But I don't see the Seahawks doing this trade because Carroll just got an extension and there's no chance at the age of 70 he's going to want to do a rebuild. So I think it's very unlikely that he gets traded. But you know, he hasn't requested a trade or anything. He does like Seattle. But it's interesting with his wife and how she would weigh into this decision. Now, the other big thing this week was the Cowboys put a hype video and they did not include Dak Prescott. So now there's rumors running rampant here that Prescott may perhaps request a trade. Uh, I think it's very likely here, Michael, that he's going to be getting the franchise tag because I don't think they're going to make it make any uh, extension here in the next month. So he's going to, and you know what? That's actually good for him. I think coming off the injury, what is going to make $38 million if he, and he is coming off a gruesome injury. So uh, good for him, I guess, but, what do you think about the future of Dak Prescott in Dallas? Yeah, I think if I'm Dallas, I'm just trying to get the contract extension done. I understand he wants a lot, but I feel like the more you wait, the more the price tag just goes up with how the QB pay has just continued to rise year after year. So I think Dak's going to be perfectly fine next year. I think he's going to be healthy. Uh, it doesn't seem like there's any structural damage with the ankle break. It seems like he should be perfectly fine. The same mobile QB that offers – a great approach in the passing attack and running game. So I think that's huge. Obviously there's still some issues on your roster, but losing Dak creates more issues than it, than uh, it helps. So I get having some money and trying to be tight and win the negotiation, but you need Dak Prescott if you're the Dallas Cowboys. We'll see what happens. Uh, I guess they're probably, maybe they're regretting that go signing Ezekiel Elliott over Dak Prescott. Um, but if you're going to have so much money invested in two players, it's going to be real tough there moving forward with, with your cap management. Uh, and it's just going to be really difficult there with the, with the talent that they have. Now, the other thing from today, Michael, is Trevor Lawrence had his pro day. Now, not a Clemson pro day, but for the first time I can remember, a player had their own pro day. Uh, what's interesting is I read that Urban Meyer – course the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars who locals should be picking Trevor Lawrence he apparently told Lawrence about a month ago to move your pro day so you can give yourself more recovery time from the planned surgery now we could talk about the surgery here and we could talk about the pro day but and what he did, but Michael, was there even a point or even an upside in Lawrence having a pro day? I don't think it was necessary. It's not necessarily necessary, I guess, but every prospect seems to have one. I think it's a good opportunity for him to showcase what he can do, really, and I, I know there's some people that kind of started to doubt him just from a fan perspective, just because of what happened in the playoffs. Maybe he didn't put up the superstar performance I was expected, but it's very clear that he's going number one. So, yeah, it wasn't absolutely necessary, but so worth it to have happen. So, obviously, he reaffirms here that he is the, the top pick. I'm just going to read for you some reports here we got from, uh, you know, key draft people. So, Daniel Jeremiah with NFL Network, uh, he says Lawrence went out there today and showed him everything he needed to see. Uh, it was crisp. He threw some beautiful balls down the field. 
there might have been a throw to in the red zone that didn't that, that got away from him. But overall, he did everything he did to maintain his, his status as the top prospect in the draft. Uh, Bucky Brooks says, from a competitive standpoint, you didn't have to be impressed that Lawrence was willing to come out and throw on Friday. He didn't need this session to prove he's worthy of the top's pick, but he chose to put himself out there, even with the shoulder and Dre validating his competitor. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, he, he weighed in at 213 pounds on the pro day, which uh, is interesting. I think some people are expecting him to come in around 230 or something. But uh, again, he, had, he has a shoulder injury, so it's not like he's doing you know much working out here. Uh, listen, it's going to be the first pick, Michael. There's really nothing you know further here to to discuss. And you know we have a comment from Ala. With the squish, he says, Chris Landry is a resource for the serious football fan. Exactly. That's why you're watching the show, or as serious as it gets. So thank you for watching. But Michael, he's going to get the first pick, and we've decided all along. The draft really starts at two this year. Absolutely, yeah. Trevor Lawrence is the sure thing at number one, and the Jets really are, have been on the clock since the season ended. Everyone knew Trevor Lawrence was going to be the pick at one. It's time for that to really be the end of that discussion. I mean, Jags have been set. The The big question mark for the Jaguars is what they do with that next first round pick. Right now, though, with number one, it's it's been T-Law since, you know, August, uh, even 2018. So now it's just who was getting number one once the Jaguars locked it in. It's been locked in ever since. Trevor Lawrence is going to be a phenomenal QB for them. Yeah, we'll see what happens at two. Uh, and it's all going to be dependent on the fact of the Jets with a trade or Dolphins. Rick has a great question. What are our thoughts about Zach Wilson and his lack of being a captain? Does he have the leadership traits to be the number two pick? I feel like we heard this story last year with the quarterback as well or the year before. Uh, I wouldn't read overly into it too much that he wasn't a captain in college. But uh, what do you think about this, Michael? I think that. It's something that will be monitored, but I don't think it's something that should be a huge issue. Uh, we heard leadership issues about Justin Herbert as time at Oregon. A lot of people like to dive into this stuff, but really what matters most is the play on the field. Success is going to bring the most out of any team more than any leadership or anything. So if you can bring in Zach Wilson and he's going to be a great contributing QB, then absolutely he's going to be the guy that is – going to be valued i mean it's just one of those things yeah you'd like for him to be the captain you like for him to be a multi-year captain but all in all if you're deciding between justin fields who maybe you don't like as much as a qb and then you're saying oh but wilson wasn't a passer then that's a sign of a bad organization all right so obviously we'll see who ends up taking him uh, I personally have him as my QB two. I know you're higher on on Fields right now, and you still like Lance. But how do you how do you really see like this whole QB rankings playing out here without the combine? Is everything going to really just based on how people have already viewed these people, or is there actually chance for significant change? I think we could see some change as people are brought in, talked to, and potentially we could see some chaos. I think the First four QBs off the board should be chalk. Maybe not order, but just it should, it's definitely most likely going to be Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, whatever order, who knows? Trevor Lawrence won, but those next three could be in any order, and it wouldn't shock me. 
And I even think Trey Lance shouldn't be ruled out as that number two pick. I think wow. he still has a lot of potential. But for these QBs after that, you know, Mac Jones seems to be the next guy in line. But if he has a struggling offseason where maybe he's not as good on the whiteboard or he doesn't have a great pro day, the concerns are going to come up because the tools there aren't necessarily what you'd want out of your ideal prospect. And then guys like Kyle Trask, who had great college football seasons, may get passed up for guys who maybe offer more mobility at the quarterback position or offer more arm strength. So there's plenty of chaos that could happen. And I know that there's definitely been some ideas that a lot of people have had set in place for a while about how this QB ranking should go in terms of draft order. But, you know, NFL teams have to pick the guys that they believe in most. And I'm not going to fault anyone for going with their gut rather than just following a media big board. Who do you, Michael, see as potentially the, the Russell Wilson of this draft? The, uh, this this guy going to be drafted in the middle rounds that could come in and, I don't know, maybe even start in, in the first or second year. Michael's obviously speechless here, so we'll go on to Rick's question here, which is, do you think that is realistic that we could see four QBs and three wide series taken in the top ten this year? Well, yeah, I, I think – with Smith and Jefferson and Waddle, it's, it's certainly uh, a, a huge possibility as we bring Michael back here. Um, and now he's gone again. But uh, the four QBs, I think it's very realistic. Obviously, uh, Lawrence is going number one. I think Wilson, he's going to, if, he, if he's not going, you know, two, if he's not going number three or two or three in the, to the Texans or to the Jets, I think the Falcons will, will pick him. Uh, and, Lance, I'm not. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't think Lance is going to be a top ten pick just because of the fact that we couldn't see what he did last season. So it's very, very tough in, in that regard uh, to evaluate him, and people might get gun shy there. Uh, but Justin Fields, it seems like he's going to be a top ten pick as well. Uh, I guess the, the bigger question ends up being: Does does Waddle end up in the top top ten with with quarterbacks? Uh, and that's going to be. Uh, very interesting for us for us to see here as we move forward in the draft season. I think we're just getting underway. We're going to hear a lot of more stories here. Usually, you know, late March, we, we tend to get some sort of crazy trade. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. And hopefully Michael is back now with us. But he is, he is muted. Now he's gone again. What a shame. All right. So moving on here. Uh, MLB rules. Our guy here says Jamie Newman. Newman is, is an interesting guy. Uh, he's, he's he could be that late round pick that comes in. Uh, we really didn't get to see what happened. What could happen because he didn't play this year. Uh, opted out due to COVID. I uh, went to Wake Forest, of course. Then last January 2020 announced he was going to transfer to the University of Georgia for his final year of eligibility. On September 2nd, 2020, with everything going on, Newman announced that he would opt out of the season because of the coronavirus and he was going to prepare for the 2021 draft. Didn't take a single snap with the Bulldogs. Uh, and for him, it's going to be tough because there's no season. Uh, didn't really do much at the, pro, at the Senior Bowl. And now there's no... There's no combine. So it definitely is, is uh, you know, LB rules. I think that's a great pick there for you because no one really knows what he's, what he's capable of. And 
there's a good chance he's going to be a late round pick. I mean, he could step in I and mean, we start Danucci with, with the Cowboys, you know, like all these crazy people you never heard of step in. So, uh, obviously he, he was a red shirt with Wake Forest 2016, 2017. He was, he was a backup to John Wolford, who of course was supposed to start the playoff game for the Rams, but then Jared Goff came in with despite his thumb injury, uh, and then in 2018, he was named the Birmingham Ball MVP. And, you know, he really he only played 19 career games in college. So uh, 306 completions and 506 attempts, so a 60, 60.5% completion rating. His passing yards, almost 4,000 for 35 touchdowns and 16 interceptions. And he, like so many college quarterbacks, does have some, some mobility Uh 245 rushing attempts, 826 yards, and 16 touchdowns. So we're looking forward to to that and seeing what you know become becomes of of the late round picks there. And I think Newman is def- definitely a great case case study because he like so many people, you know, they lost, they they opted out or they just didn't play their senior season and. Uh, or their junior season. And I think that is going to greatly impact here the draft moving forward. There's no doubt about it. And it's going to be really, it's going to be really interesting. Uh, now we did, we did mention Trevor Lawrence. So I, I just wanted to uh, show you guys some of the highlights here, including his 65 yard uh Touchdown pass! Uh, touchdown pass today. But real quick on Rex, since we don't have the Rock, uh, do you think the Giants stick with Jones or the Giants getting in the QB brawl? Rick, they have to get in the QB brawl. I don't see any reason as to why they should be comfortable with Daniel Jones. What do you have? Ten touchdowns, eleven interceptions last year. That's not good. He got hurt. His best thing about his game was his movability, and then he got hurt and he wasn't movable. It was very difficult for him to you know, make the throws that need that were necessary. He just loved throwing to Evan Ingram, who constantly dropped the ball, like literally, like literally dropped the ball and ruined the season a lot of times. But I think they should, like I mentioned earlier, they should be looking to get Russell Wilson. I think that's the guy they should be looking to get. Uh, where they're drafting in the draft, it's going to be really tough for them to – Get another QB, so it's probably going to be the fact that Jones will be back this year. But it's it's a big year. It's for Jones and for for Dave Gettleman because this could be it for them if they don't if they don't start winning games. But as I just mentioned, I wanted to uh, show you guys uh, tra- uh, Trevor Lawrence pro day highlights. So so take a look.
All right, so there you have it. You have some Trevor Lawrence highlights. It looks like uh, Michael has made a call to the, the bullpen here or the second-string quarterback, and Bailey's going to join us. Bailey, thanks for, for coming in here to, to fill in for Michael. Uh, let's take a look now uh, at Michael's off-season blueprint. Uh, we're going to start here for the Atlanta Falcons. So, Bailey, I'll let you run through this list here, and you can, you can give your thoughts on, on Rockman here. Obviously, uh, you guys are – Going back and forth with your mock drafts, you had that great mock draft episode on the show. But uh, take a look here. Uh, you know, start off with Pay in the first round as an edge. Um, I, I'm a little surprised here that he doesn't have the Falcons picking a quarterback, but he does have Ian Book uh, as a sixth round pick. So we'll see about that. But what do you think the Falcons should be doing here in the first round? So I don't, I don't have a full idea of what Michael's doing here, but what I assume he did was have the Falcons trade back from four. Maybe with the Panthers, maybe with the 49ers, because I don't really see Quiddy Pay as you know the type of player that you would take fourth fourth overall. So I assume there is a trade, but they don't have any additional picks. So uh, maybe the, this was the fourth overall. the The thing with Pay is that he's all projection right now. He's an amazing athlete, but you know fundamentally and technically he's just not that sound as an edge defender right now. Uh, the Falcons have been looking for good edge defense since forever. You know, they had Vic Beasley there for a while, but he didn't end up turning that great. Dante Fowler has kind of been a bust as a as a signing. So I would think going in, if you're going to commit to Matt Ryan as your QB, the number one need is definitely edge defender. Mm-hmm. And taking the top edge defender on the board is, you know, never a bad pick. Absolutely. And when, when you could – I mean, we just started the Super Bowl, right? The, the edge for the Buccaneers absolutely rattled the Chiefs, and that was the key to victory. And if you're, you know, a, a high school football player, if you, if you can't play quarterback, you want to be either an offensive lineman or an edge rusher because that's the picks that you're constantly picking those players. And you can get, a, you can get, you can get an edge rusher in any round. Or even an offensive lineman in any round, there's a chance they could end up starting. They're interchangeable. They come in and out. Uh, anybody else here for Michael's uh, draft here stick out to you as notable what he has for the Falcons? Um, the, the decision to double dip at edge rusher is kind of interesting where he goes, could he pay, and then he takes Ronnie Perkins in the third round. Um, you know, they still do have Dante Fowler as – you know, that huge contract in the book as an edge. So this would kind of imply that his time there as the Falcons done. It's kind of, you know, a disappointing sign for him. Didn't really produce this year as much as they would have liked to. Uh, White Davis is also an interesting pick, I think, because the the Falcons seem to be, with this draft, just like all about fixing the defense and then protecting Matt Ryan. Right. You know, the guard has been... Uh, you know, Lindstrom hasn't been that great as a guard for them so far, and I don't remember who the other guard is off the top of my head, but I know he's been disappointing as well. So, you know, shoring up the interior line and giving Matt Ryan, who's like 35 years old this time, as much time as the pocket, it's probably a gr- good idea. <laughs> Absolutely. They said they're going to go, they're going to commit to Matt Ryan, so that's the way to go. So let's talk about Ian Book here in the sixth round. Great season for him. Uh, if he's available in the sixth round, and you are the Falcons. I don't see why you wouldn't pick him. What do you think of his his pro future here in the NFL? I mean, the sixth round seems like a good place to take in, but, you know, he did have that amazing season with Notre Dame, you know, sending multiple school records, took them on that playoff run. But, you know, as a passer, I'm, I think he's kind of limited. 
there, there's just several things about his game that I don't think will translate to the next level. But you know, it's it's college production. It's just amazing. So you know, I, I think as a sixth round, you can take a flyer on him, and if he doesn't turn out good, I think you can just be okay with that. Yeah, one of the most winningest quarterbacks in, in recent years for Notre Dame. Now, looking at his plans for free agency, uh, we have not too many signings. Uh, just Mark Ingram here is going to be, be signed as a running back. I think Ingram's pretty much toast, Bailey, at this point. I don't think he really adds much to any team. Uh, yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, uh, it's a, Ingram being signed by the Falcons. It's a little interesting. You know, Ingram didn't look great last season with the Ravens, and I don't think the Falcons took a running back in that draft. So they're going to have to, you know, completely add through free agency. Uh, and, you know, the Falcons are pretty tight on cap space, so that's why I'm not too surprised by seeing not that too much on offense. Uh, the, I mean, their offense definitely wasn't the issue last year. It's definitely their defense that cost them all those right. games uh, in the coaching. So... Right. If you're, if you're going to consistently score 30 points, you need to win the game. Right, Michael? As Michael rejoins <laughs> us here. Or maybe he doesn't. All right. So, <laughs> but overall, it's pretty much the same offense. But I agree with you. The offense isn't the issue. And hey, if you want to have Mark Ingram, go ahead. But I don't think you can really count to him to, to make a difference offensively. No, I'm sure they would sign somebody else a running back to kind of do a one-two punch because I think Ingram's best days are behind him at this point. You know, you can really even break snaps with the with the Ravens, you know, in that crowded backfield. So maybe a change of scenery will uh, we'll see a uh, back to form for him. We'll see. And Gus Edwards yes, obviously was good enough. And now we, we do hear Michael. Michael, are you back? Thank goodness. Yeah, sorry about all that. My everything just – started messing up so the explanation on that mock draft i think quitty pay is someone that will have a huge offseason rise due to his ability as an edge rusher he had some eh, production like bailey talked about a little bit but i do think that the athletic upside is something that teams are a lot higher on than a lot of people who kind of are like us where we just kind of watch on the sideline i personally think pay is good but i don't expect him to be someone that I value as a top five pick. But when he runs and he has this insane three cone that's already been measured, I expect teams to be a lot higher on him than the consensus media member or even just general fan. And, you know, double dipping at positions is one of those things that a lot of teams try not to do, especially at a position like edge rusher where rookie production is hard to come by. But if you ask any Falcons fan, hey, do you want to go spend money in free agency on another guy after Dante Fowler just completely, you know, wastes his contract pretty much? Or are you completely opposed against getting two young edge rushers and seeing what happens as compared to what you've been dealing with over the past few years? I feel like they're going to say, you know what, why not? Because these are two high upside guys. And then, you know, there's Wyatt Davis, who's been a dependable blocker at Ohio State, get some protection for Matt Ryan and what should be his final couple of seasons. Uh, I got Ian Book, but I think that's more just a competition with Kurt Benkert for that backup position, really allow both of them to compete in that position. I don't think Ian Book will be the future, but hey, you know, if he comes in and does well, if he impresses enough, he could get the chance at the job once Matt Ryan leaves. But this is more because Matt Schaub has left rather than a Matt Ryan departure plan. Uh, there's plenty of talented guys on this list. And I think the Falcons need a big draft in order to capitalize on their window that they have 
with guys like Matt Ryan and Julio Jones near the end of their career. So that's why I went with some of these guys in this draft. Trey Brown stepping in at nickel corner would be absolutely huge because, you know, Isaiah Oliver just hasn't played up to what has been expected of him. Uh, I was trying to look at insight from Falcons fans and just looking through their conversations on Isaiah Oliver, and they just kept referring to him as burnt toast because he just consistently gets burned deep. Uh, Kendall Sheffield has done a nice job stepping up. A.J. Terrell had a good rookie year, but in that slot position, you know, with most likely Ricardo Allen being cut in order to save money, DeMonte Casey is going to be playing free safety a lot more. So you bring in Trey Brown to play that nickel spot, and you hopefully get some more solid play out of this secondary, which is now very young. Um, what about your decision not to give the Falcons a running back? You know, I saw you gave them Mark Ingram in the free agency, but, you know, he's kind of older. Yeah. Uh, what other plans for that position? So I do think they bring back Brian Hill and they keep running it with Ido Smith as well. But my decision to pass on running back was because I don't think Najee Harris gets there to that second pick. And I felt like Wyatt Davis was maybe more important to their team success than a guy like Javante Williams. I know that Arthur Smith has just worked with Derrick Henry, but that doesn't necessarily mean he needs this, you know, big, powerful back. But I felt as though he would probably want someone that's a little bit physically imposing. So I didn't think the board worked out for it. So I had them kind of pass on running back this year, work with what they have with guys like Mark Ingram, Ito Smith, and Brian Hill, all on low-value contracts. And then next year, hopefully, they are able to spend the luxury of the pick of getting a running back thing and help out take the load off of Matt Ryan. But I felt like getting the offensive line better and addressing other positions of need was more important. And so do you think Todd Gurley's gone? On, no more passed. Todd Gurley in Atlanta? Yeah, Todd Gurley fell out of rotation. I think his career is is kind of close to the end now. It's, it's sad to see because it's due to injuries, but I do think Todd Gurley is kind of out in Atlanta, and I, I'm not sure where he's going to go to next. So uh, readdressing this offense – a lot of it's the same, and I think that's going to be huge. The one question mark I have here is Matt Hennessy at the center position because Alex Mack is a legend at the center spot, and I think most likely the Falcons won't be able to retain him. They're going to have to make some tough cuts, swallow some hard issues, but they brought in Matt Hennessy last year to either play left guard or play center, and I think this is where he has to step up. If he succeeds, great. They have a starting center for the future. If he struggles, though, then this offensive line could have some of the similar issues that's getting Matt Ryan pressured and causing this offense to be a bit, you know, inconsistent at times. The wide receiver core is obviously dominant with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. Russell Gage is very underrated at the third spot. Jake Matthews has been good. Caleb McGarry's had his struggles, but he's done pretty well in terms of just being a consistent, dependable, solid level right tackle. Chris Lindstrom's been good. This offense, like Bailey said earlier, is not the issue. So, Getting some key pieces is huge, but at the same time, I think the biggest thing is trying to address this defense. And while they don't have much to work with in terms of cap and just how many picks they have, I do think that there is a potential for a quick turnaround in Atlanta. So we look at this defense, and the biggest thing is health because you know guys like DeMonte Casey, Keanu Neal have consistently gotten hurt, and it just destroys this team's momentum. But – you know, Grady Jarrett and Tyler Davison, if Davison can stay healthy, Quiddy Pay and Ronnie Perkins on the defensive line could cause chaos. The biggest thing that we have seen from this team is Grady Jarrett just seeming to dominate and no one else being able to take advantage of that. If you have Quiddy Pay there, 
if you have Ronnie Perkins, I think you're going to generate pressure and get some chaos on some QBs and really open up the game for your secondary to step up as well. I think that with Dean Pease, he's kind of talked about how he wants to really be able to rotate, you know, have this team be able to play 3-4 and 4-3. Mostly they're a 3-4 team, in my opinion, with Dean Pease, just what he runs schematically. But if you run this as a 3-4, I think Quiddy Pay stays down as a down lineman, and then you have Ronnie Perkins and McCall Walker on the edge with Deion Jones and Foyasadi Alokan uh, in the middle. So I think there's definitely a lot of talent on this team. The biggest issue for the Falcons over the years has been, you know, lack of pass rush and staying healthy. The, the Falcons are the chargers of the NFC in terms of health, and that's been an issue for them. But if they can stay healthy, there's plenty of young talent on this roster to where they could come in next year and surprise people with a potential playoff run. Well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, right now it's. I guess it's possible because the Saints are out. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't see the Saints really making the playoffs with Jameis Winston. Maybe they get the seven seed, but uh, it's interesting to see. Here, you basically have, you know, no free agent signings. Obviously, the Falcons have some issues, but a lot of pressure going to be on. Uh, you know, the new edge rushers in Brown, if this is the case, because as Bailey pointed out, the Falcons defense was atrocious last year and, and a major a major problem. But I think we should move on to the Bengals here. And, you know, I welcome in our buddy Joe here because when we had Michael out in the blackout here, we, we brought Joe in. <laughs> but Joe, of course, is a, is a, is a, we're bringing Joe in. This, this portion of the show is brought to you by by Town Fair Tires because Joe used his Town Fair Tires to quickly drive home so he could come on to talk. Uh, nobody beats Town Fair Tires, nobody. But Joe, you absolutely love your guy Joe Burrow. And if you look at this first-round pick that Michael's got here, uh, wow, I think Joe Burrow's going to love that too. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, I think we just saw a couple of nights ago what it looks like when some uh, talented quarterback does not have an offensive line, what to speak of. Uh, Patrick Mahomes got killed on Sunday, uh, and the Bengals did a good job of getting Joe Burrow killed in his rookie year. Uh, so, yeah, he'll, he'll like a, a nice uh, left tackle, a franchise left tackle, caliber left tackle, uh, to protect his blind side, hopefully for the next 10 to 15 years, assuming the Bengals keep him healthy for that long. Absolutely. And I, I understand that there may be Bengals fans who are, you know, tears in their eyes right now saying, don't give me hope that we're going to get this amazing offensive tackle at number five. I think the draft board could shake out that way. If Miami trades their pick in that, you know, Deshaun Watson hypothetical that we presented last episode, then there is a chance that the QBs go one, two, three. I don't know if Atlanta goes Penny Sewell, and then you have the option of getting them. So this is this may be a bit luxurious of a mock draft for the Bengals, but we're gonna ride with it. We want to keep the Bengals happy. So we got Penny Sewell as the number one pick. In the second round, we got Tyson Campbell. I think I think William Jackson is probably going to leave in free agency. I think you want to get younger in that secondary. And looking at Tyson Campbell, they offer a lot of similar skill sets, but I don't think this is just a one-for-one trade-off. I think Tyson Campbell has the potential to reach higher levels at the cornerback spot. I think he is one of my favorite cornerbacks in this class. And adding him with a secondary that already has Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander, if healthy, you can have a very nice secondary for this NFC North that really needs it, especially when you're going against some of the very talented passing attacks of the AFC. 
in the third round, I've been going Deami Brown. There's so many weapons that are leaving Cincinnati, and I don't think that they're only going to go with a third-round pick to address that. But I do think that with A.J. Green likely gone, with John Ross probably gone, with Auden Tate not really being someone that you want to have as your starting receiver, bringing in a guy like Deami Brown who can play inside, play outside, it's a great add, and you can really bring in a very solid weapon that can contribute early and eventually take over a starting job if the opportunity presents itself. And I think with a guy like Deami Brown, you get consistency, you get really nice route running. The issue is hands. Can he be a consistent pass catcher? If he were more consistent as a pass catcher, I think I would view him a lot higher, but I think that's something that he could easily overcome. In the fourth round, I have him going Darius Stills. Mike Daniels is a phenomenal three-tech for them, but I think with how it's working right now, he's probably going to eventually need to retire in one, two years at most. So having a guy like Darius Stills who has plenty of potential to be that five-tech could be huge. In the fifth round, we're talking about Dio Adeyingbo, an edge rusher out of Vanderbilt. This guy is someone that probably would be going much higher if it weren't for his injuries. And we see it with this comment, Odeingbo in the fifth round, cringe. Uh, you know, obviously with the injuries, it's going to hurt his stock. I think that leaves it early fifth, maybe late fourth. But the talent in terms of what we see on tape is probably second, third round. This guy is definitely a great get. And if Cincinnati can add him to a room that has Carl Lawson and Sam Hubbard, I think they could have a nice rotation there and really get a nice presence off the edge. In the sixth round, I'm going Robert Jones, offensive guard out of uh, Middle Tennessee. You look at what he can bring to the table, and you know that Cincinnati needs some depth on the offensive line. Quentin Spain probably keeping the job. I think they bring back uh, Sua Philo, but you know, looking at the line, you need to add the day three picks. And I think that with Robert Jones, you're bringing in a nice weapon. In the seventh round, I have him going Garrett Dokes and or Jared Dokes. And you see a lot of TJ Yeldon in Jared Dokes, but TJ Yeldon was much more hyped as a prospect. Dokes coming in the seventh round, whether you want him as a you know powerful runner or a nice receiver, I think you could add him. You know, Joe Mixon's been dealing with some injuries. Giovanni Bernard has been a very solid pass catcher, but isn't necessarily a huge need for the position. If, uh, if they were to move on that money. So bringing in a guy like Dokes, especially when he went to Cincinnati, I think is a great get for them and could really add to that running back room. And then in the seventh round, take a flyer on Osiris Mitchell, wide receiver out of Mississippi State. Huge size, huge frame, 6'5", makes some great catches. Get some weapons, and, you know, worst case, this guy just hangs around on your practice squad, comes up for some games if he's called on. But best case, you could be getting a superstar receiver here because he offers the frame and athleticism to really do that. So, you know, it's worth a shot in a dark seventh round. You're kind of throwing darts at the board anyway. If Osiris Mitchell pans out, that's a great get. But this is how I go with the Cincinnati Bengals draft, and I think it's absolutely huge that they address the offensive line. The line played much better when you look at, you know, how – they looked with Spain in and how they looked with Suofilo in at guard. The interior offensive line has improved a lot. Jonah Williams is definitely a dependable tackle, but that right tackle spot is terrible. Bobby Hart <laughs> is one of the worst offensive tackles in the NFL. Giant crate. So, so we have to get protection for Joe Burrow, and this is how the offense looks. I talked about investing. The Bengals have money. Who I go with is Ooh. Will Fuller and Jonu Smith. 
Will Fuller most likely leaving Houston. We see it with Deshaun Watson already at odds with Houston. I don't see any reason why Will Fuller would want to return. Even if you love Deshaun Watson, if you sign your extension and then a second later Deshaun Watson's traded, it's terrible. So go to a place where you want to be, and I think Cincinnati would be a great landing spot for him. He's not one of the you know, top caliber wide receivers in this free agency class. A lot of guys are talking about Allen Robinson, Juju Smith-Schuster, Corey Davis. But I think having Will Fuller as a weapon that can take the top off and really be a great deep threat for any team is huge. And, you know, with T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, I think Will Fuller plays into that wide receiver room perfectly. John U. Smith at the tight end position, if he hits the market or not, is kind of the question. I think the Titans definitely want to bring him back, but he could be expensive. And I think the receiving upside that he brings when you already have guys like Drew Sample that are great blocking tight ends, having a guy like John U. Smith at the tight end spot could really add some production to this team and really open up this offense. You know, we talked about it with the guard spots, Suofilo, Quentin Spain. I think they're going to be phenomenal in another year. They look very strong, much more improved from the past season. Trey Hopkins at the center spot, Sewell and Williams at the tackles. You get this offensive line much improved, and Joe Burrow can actually, you know, drop back and take a couple seconds to decide where he wants to throw. Joe Mixon can use his patient approach and really succeed with it. So this offense, with some weapons in place, with some investment in the offensive line, could really take that next step, and Cincinnati could be a very good team next year. Yeah, I think uh, I think Joe would agree. He he likes like direction that Cincinnati's trending in, and I think it's really crucial here that they brought back Zach Taylor because uh, I wouldn't have been fair to let him go. Then Burrow, a new offense in his second year. But let's try to get a little consistency here for these rookie these young quarterbacks. Yeah, so last year in the draft, I was just looking. I believe six teams took a tackle in the first round, and obviously there was that lump of tackles uh, that went kind of in the top 15. You had Andrew Thomas to the Giants, uh, Jujic Willis to the Browns, Mekhi Becton to the Jets, Tristan Wirfs to the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers. Uh, it seems like every team that took a tackle at the top last year in the draft uh, ended up being satisfied uh, with the production that they got from those players in year one. So I think with the Bengals, uh, again – I think if I think he will be there at five, uh, and I think that they absolutely need somebody to protect the blind side of Burrow. I do like the way the Bengals are trending. I like the way the Browns are trending. Um, but yeah, so it, it just seems like coming off of last year uh, for this organization, it's a no-brainer. Absolutely, and if he falls to number five, and you're the Bengals, you got to run up to the podium because this guy is an absolute stud. Now we take a look at the defense and. Again, similar approach with the Falcons. We aren't going to be adding a lot. I understand the Bengals had their issues on defense, but I think a lot of it was injury-related. You know, DJ Reader and Mike Daniels at the defensive tackle spots. Reader had his issues with getting out for the season pretty early. Mike Daniels played pretty well, but he didn't really, you know, shine. But that's not what you need at three-tech position. If you can stop the run, have a presence on the interior offensive line, you don't have to necessarily blow up the stat sheet. And I think Mike Daniels does that very well. On the edge, we bring back Carl Lawson. We have Sam Hubbard. And we talked about Ode Ingbo as well. You get some depth at that defensive end spot. You start to add a little bit of a presence. And this off or this defensive line with some rotation in there of young, talented edge rushers could create some pressure on QBs that really start to make this team take that next step. 
Again, a lot of it is health-related. Logan Wilson was dealing with injuries all year, but he was solid And when we did see him in the rookie year. So, Jermaine Pratt, Marcus Bailey, Logan Wilson, young linebackers that maybe didn't shine as much as you would have wanted, but at the same time, it's much improved from what we last saw from the linebacker position, you know, two years ago when the Bengals weren't investing in it. So bringing back these young guys, getting them another year, and hopefully keeping them healthy, and we could see a lot of great play, especially with some of the other guys in this team at the cornerback position. Well, actually, let's talk about the linebacker. So obviously, we we have these three on the blueprint, but also Akeem Davis Gathier, or Gathier. I'm, I'm not sure on the second last name. I'm sorry, but he plays a nice money backer role as well. So this defense has plenty of versatility in that regard, and he is just an like an absolute missile. He's 200 pounds, but he flies around the field, a dominant linebacker, 212 pounds. And he just, he brings a lot to the team at the cornerback room. We obviously talked about Tyson Campbell, get Trey Wayne's back healthy. Mackenzie Alexander looks solid. And then that safety room has been the consistent part of this team all year last year. And now they'll be back. Jesse Bates, one of the best free safeties in the NFL, probably very underrated, but he's definitely a superstar. And then Von Bell, a very strong, strong safety that brings consistency in the run game and pass game. The Bengals, young team, battling injuries all year, really got messed up in that regard. But if they can keep some consistency, get some good luck and fortune with the health, invest in their offensive line, invest in some weapons to replace the you know fall off of AJ Green, the you know lack of tight end production, and you bring in some help on this defense, I think that they could surprise some teams. Maybe not playoffs right away, but I do think that they would be a team that's competitive in every game. And, you know, who knows? A couple games go your way. Maybe you're lucking into that wild card spot. Yeah, this is a three-year plan. This is year two of a three-year plan. Uh, So they got to get this year right. And I agree with you. They were very pesky at the start of last season. They were in a bunch of games. Nick and I uh, were really satisfied with the way they were playing early. Uh, obviously the borough injury kind of derailed their whole season, but, uh, when you're looking at this, uh, three-year plan, look to what the dolphins are doing kind of as a, a, a blueprint. Uh, hopefully the, the, the decision for Zach Taylor, uh, I think I like the, the Will Fuller movie you said before is really good. Uh, they do have really young linebackers and the Buccaneers just proved that, uh, they, you can win if some of your best guys on defense are linebackers and coverage linebackers, which kind of is. It's it's something that has kind of deteriorated over the past five to ten years. A lot of people, a lot of teams, and a lot of people uh, tend to target defensive linemen at the top of the draft. They tend to go after cornerbacks. Uh, very very few safeties ever go. If if they do go, they they have the potential to be elite or upper echelon guys. So I think the Bengals, the strength is on the defense. Uh, the, the strength on the defense rather uh, is with their linebackers. They played really well last season. Uh, so again, it's a three year plan. Um, I think the youth that they have on defense plays to their advantage. A lot of these guys are, are definitely not household names around the league. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not entirely sure that if you ask a casual NFL fan, they could give you two or three names on the Bengals defense. Um, but there's room for improvement and linebackers are really good. Like you said. Absolutely. And you know, the Bengals have been one of the better teams in terms of getting these mid round picks. If they can continue to do it for another year, I think, there's a lot to be excited about in Cincinnati. You know, guys like Carl Lawson, Sam Hubbard, Pratt, Bailey, Wilson, even they have Jesse not, Bates. Yeah, they they've have done not well in mid rounds. 
Yeah, they have not been a, a bad drafting team. Over the course of the last 10 years, they're, I wouldn't say they're one of the best teams in the draft, but consistently, if you go to year to year, they are able to draft and produce NFL players, whether they stay in Cincinnati or a lot of them have ended up ultimately leaving, obviously, in free agency. But uh, but the truth of the matter is is that they they have very few like bad picks at the top. Most of the picks that they have are pretty solid, uh, but again, it's it's mostly everything else there. Obviously, the, the GM, the ownership, um, that's that's really what's kind of derailing them from being able to retain and hold what they have after the draft. But they are a really solid drafting team. They don't get enough credit, I don't think, for it. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it happens in every organization. If you win, the whole culture changes. So having a guy like Burrow in there is huge. I know all three of us are huge fans of them. If they can get some success going, a lot of people are going to be excited at the opportunity to play with a young, successful QB like Joe Burrow. There's definitely talent on this roster. There's guys like T. Higgins who had arguably one of the most underrated rookie years for the receiver group. Joe Mixon, very talented running back. You know, this team has plenty of young pieces. If you're a Bengals fan, I understand that you may want to, you know, be a little pessimistic because they haven't historically been willing to spend money in free agency or they haven't, you know, necessarily been a contender for a while, but things are going the right way. Last offseason, they showed that they're now willing to spend a little bit. I think they're going to try again, especially in a season like this where money is so kind of question mark for every team. If the Bengals can come in, you know, make a swing at some key pieces to add to this roster get some good value signings instead of trying to just pay the most money to the top guy, you could have a very solid roster in place. And I think there's reason to be optimistic about the future of the Bengals. We got a few more minutes here. So since we brought Joe on, Michael, he's, he's been a big proponent of this for a long time. And it's the get Russell Wilson and Sierra to New York, New Jersey movement. <laughs> so Joe, you think it's realistic? Is it going to happen? And will it be with the Giants or the Jets? So interesting story here. I have uh, my friend Eddie uh, worked for the NFL for a couple of years. He used to be Dave Damashek's producer. He has since moved on to work with Cousin Sal and, and Rachel Banana and the rest of that group over there. Uh, but he used to be really close friends. And I think I believe he still is, but he used to be close friends with Daniel Jeremiah. Uh, and there were rumblings that Jeremiah would be a top contender for an NFL GM job. And when the Giants job opened up a couple of years ago, his name was kind of being thrown around that mix. Uh, obviously, it ended up going to Gettleman. But Jeremiah said that the rumors a couple of years ago that Coward, uh, that Colin Coward first reported on about Russell Wilson to the Giants, there was legitimacy to those rumors. They were, it was, it was not close to happening, but the conversations and the, the, the rumblings were certainly there. So, uh, Obviously, Russell Wilson's married to Ciara. Obviously, she wants to come to New York. It's all about her brand. It's all about being in a big c- city. Obviously, Seattle's a big city, but it's nothing. Not for music. Not even well, for music. Well, not, no. not her type of music. There is no. a big music scene, but not for her type yes, of music. That is correct. So, uh, but yeah, so there were inklings and there were rumblings and they were legitimate a couple of years ago. Uh, if the Giants were to make it work, and I think the Giants should look into it, and I think the Jets should look into going after Deshaun Watson, I think both organizations have monumental opportunities to make big splashes and, and to do the right thing. But if the Giants are going to go after Russell Wilson, uh, obviously the offer is going to start with the 11th overall pick, probably another first-round pick or two. 
Uh, and you would imagine it would include Daniel Jones and maybe another skill position player. Uh, Evan Ingram. Like, like an Evan Ingram. Right. That's correct. Get rid of him. Um, and, and with the Jets and Watson, I mean, the Jets, they have the trump card. They can put together an offer that nobody else can beat. It's just a matter of will they put the offer on the table. So, but yeah, that's so the, the, the Russell Wilson to the Giants rumors, they were legitimate. They were very, very legitimate. Absolutely. We have to wrap this up just because we're running tight on time. Thank you guys so much. Thank you to Joe and Bailey for stepping up when technical difficulties just would not stop stepping up as well. So thank you to Nick for also, you know, continuing the ship. Uh, Thank you to all the fans in the comment section. And thank you to everyone who's tuning in. Take care, guys. Have a good weekend. Take care.